So, so at least every generation or so, a, a song comes along that, that captivates the masses, that speaks to, to the strengths or, or beauty or goodness of numbers greater than one. For the Swifties in the room, you have a song that was, she was featured on, Two is Better Than One. Maybe two is better than one, and you've already got me coming undone, and I'm thinking two is better than one. Now, based on the release date, we can be confident she was not singing about Travis Kelsey. And if you're someone who doesn't know who Travis Kelsey is, tune in at two today to watch the Chiefs beat the Ravens. Had, had to sneak that in there. For, for those of us raised in the late 1900s, that's how we can say that now, we have a song from Schoolhouse Rocks. Three is the magic number. Somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity, you get three as a magic number. The past and the present and the future. The faith and hope and charity. The, the heart and the brain and the body give you three as a magic number. Going back even further, there is a, a, a song, one, from, from Three Dog Night. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Yes, it's the saddest experience you'll ever know, because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. See, Christians very much agree with the, that, that there is strength and beauty and richness found in numbers greater than one. And we're not necessarily focused on the romantic reasons like Taylor, nor do we believe there is a magic number. But, but Christians know, people like you and I, we were designed to live in community with one another. It is not good for man to be alone. And this reality that Christians were designed to live in community, when we engage that community, there is a way that, that Christian community testifies to people outside the church or it, it, it is effective in the mission of making disciples. For those of you less familiar with me, my name is Paul and I serve as one of the pastors here. Welcome to our Sunday morning gathering. So, so this morning we're concluding a preaching series we've been engaging in the month of January on what it means for Christians to live on mission. To live as people who take seriously the call to make disciples of others. And this morning... We're, we're discussing the importance of living in community as we live on mission. See, when we live on mission, one is a lonely number. Two is better than one. And while three is not the magic number, we should probably shoot for something greater than two. Because as Christians relate to one another, the, the community they display, it serves a compelling purpose. So the title of my message this morning is A Compelling Community. We're going to talk about how Christians living ordinary life with one another provide an apologetic or, or, or what's known as an argument for what it means to be Christian. In that vein, our big idea will be Christian community communicates a story inviting others to know the truth. Now, before we get into that story of the story that Christian community communicates, let's talk first about how observing people who live in community could invite others to know the truth. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open it up 
to the passage read earlier, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me briefly reread those verses that Heather uh, just read for us. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So so Jesus is teaching his disciples they are to love one another. And he's saying a natural outcome of that, of them loving one another, is that everyone will know they are disciples of Jesus. So, So an impact of Christians loving one another is missional. As people encounter a Christian community relating to one another in love, they will see a mark of Christ and his ministry. There is something compelling about the way Christians relate to one another that Christ can be known. This cannot be accomplished by one missionary. So this reality, there are limitations to how one missionary relates to non-Christians. It may be surprising to some of you because people often reduce living as a a missionary to telling others what you believe about God or what you believe about the Bible or how you believe men and women need to be saved because of sin. Of course, these people believe that a a missionary needs to talk, needs to tell those truths for good reason. The book of Romans says this, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher. The Apostle Paul here is saying the good news of the gospel must be heard to be believed. If a Christian community communicates a compelling story, it is not an excuse to be silent. You need to talk to people about your faith in Christ. You need to answer questions when when people ask about what it means to be Christian. Like many of you do, you need to invite with words that are spoken or words that are written. You need to invite people to church or invite people to your gospel community. But there are limitations to the words we speak. For example, just because we say we believe or value something, that doesn't mean that we actually do. We intuitively know this is true. Because when we encounter someone that uses hashtag kindness and proceeds to respond in hostile ways, maybe using their fingers to demonstrate particular gestures, or their words to tear down and complain and condemn, it contradicts what they say they believe. Rather than kindness, their actions indicate they believe in crankiness and meanness. So how we live in community, it can either refute or affirm what we say we believe. And beyond that, even even when our life testifies to the truth we say we believe, just because we are talking, that doesn't mean people are listening. Sometimes it seems like Christians, because they know biblical truth, they have a license to talk when people aren't listening or answer questions that aren't being asked, or argue in a contentious, non-productive manner. If words have limitations, here Christ offers another way to live on mission, to declare our faith in Christ, or perhaps a way to supplement or catalyze the mission. 
Singer, songwriter, and author Andrew Peterson has this quote. If you want people to know the truth, tell them the truth. But if you want people to love the truth, tell them a story. Telling the story of Christian community, living as though we love one another, it's less speaking with words and more telling a story by the way we live. One missionary may be able to say what is true or even tell some stories, but they cannot display what is true. They cannot tell that story that way. The story of how a people surrendered to Christ are transformed from people who, from, from, from people who are centered on self to a people who love and sacrifice for others. So last week we emphasized the importance of Christians getting to know the individual stories of others, to get close and to have compassion. This week we're saying as we live on mission, one of the most, one of the most compelling things we can do is to invite individuals to get to know the story of the Christian community. Because the, the Christian community communicates a story inviting others to know the truth. So we're going to survey some passages or principles of how disciples of Jesus are instructed to, to relate to one another. These are several scenes, uh, if you will, of the story of how they are to love one another. And we'll consider the truth that, that people will encounter about Christ as a result. So the first scene we'll explore is scenes of surrender. So if you move from the Gospel of John to the letter of 1 John, same author, you come across these words. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so John is describing how the Christian community is a community rooted in confession. So much of the way people live today, we're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to prove our worth and our value. We're trying to prove we are strong and have what it takes. We defend and justify our decisions even when we may be wrong. To acknowledge our failure or flaw indicates you are weak and wavering, unsteady and uncertain. Christian community is different. In being rooted in confession, we don't perform for one another. We don't pretend we have no sin. We are honest and real about our struggles with substances, our struggles with speech, or how much things like fear and anxiety consume us, or how we sometimes struggle with anger or apathy or attitude. Christians don't have to wear masks. They don't have to keep up false appearances. See, people may think a Christian community is centered on some credentials of character or some superstar or some super saintly status. John is saying that the Christian community is not a people who are self-sufficient or self-reliant or strong men and women, but weak men and women who surrender to the strength of a Savior. So as this people live in community with one another... As they love one another, they have nothing to prove. They confess flaws and failures and are real and raw about their struggles with sin. These scenes of surrender 
they tell the story of a community not defined by past failure or future success, but defined by forgiveness, by the love of Christ who sacrificed his life, who took on their sin. These scenes invite everyone to know that truth. Jesus is kind to sinners. He cleanses sinners. He forgives sinners, not because of anything they do to deserve it, but because of his kindness and his love and his mercy. Now, this Christian community that lives out scenes of surrender, that does not mean they are people satisfied with sin. So next scene, scenes of sanctification. If you're not familiar with that term sanctification, it is a process where people grow in character. So while surrender is a characteristic of Christian community, so are standards of living. A community is not Christian if people are not being formed into the character of Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So so Christians are certainly not the only people who care about character. But what distinguishes them, one of the things that distinguishes them is the type of character they care about. That tells a story. This is a community that longs to reflect the character of Christ. This is a community that is being shaped in in what it means to walk in submission to the word of God. This community takes holiness seriously. In longing to be formed into the character of Christ, Christians become aware of something called sin. Sin that exists in their lives, in our personal lives, and in the lives of, of those people around us. When Christians recognize character deficiencies in one another, the scenes of how they approach one another tells a story. Rather than withdraw, rather than distance themselves from one another, in the Christian community, we don't pull away. Instead, we push in. Sometimes that means we bear with one another. Sometimes that means we have hard conversations. And all times, rather than allow past hurt to fester and frustrate us, we work towards forgiveness. See, these scenes of sanctification, they tell a story of a Savior who has the most holy and whole character. And because of his work in his people, they are growing to be holy and whole too. When Christians love one another, when they address concerns, when they confess sin, when they forgive, these scenes invite everyone to know the truth. This community is not defined by how we have been hurt or harmed, by our imperfections or our failures and flaws. We are defined by how we have been healed and made whole, and how we are being transformed by the power of Christ. Christian community communicates that story, inviting others to know the truth. Next scenes, scenes of submission. Ephesians 5.21 describes Christians as people submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, or how that is translated in the English Standard Version, out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Christians are characterized as a people who submit. Struggles with submission are common in our culture. I will do what I want to do. No one, no book, no anything will have authority in my life. I will make decisions I want to make. I will define who I want to be. And I will not submit within marriage or within the church or to the government. No one has power over me because submission is very much considered a sign of weakness. So there is a remarkable story told when Christians submit, especially when they submit to things they may not yet agree with. It is one, one thing to submit when we are all in favor of what has been established. It is another when we bristle. One of the, one of the more remarkable conversations I have with people in our church has to do with the, how we practice communion. We say people should not be receiving communion unless they have been baptized. Many agree with what we say and they gladly submit, but some disagree. When I have conversations with those that disagree, who still choose to walk in submission, there is a remarkable story that is told. There is a remarkable story when, when, that is told when someone becomes a member of this church and they don't agree with all the doctrines we profess or every aspect of how we practice church leadership or how we do children's ministry. These scenes of submission invite others to know the truth about Jesus. In the Gospels, after giving instructions to his disciples in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, he walks away. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. See, submission is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of great strength. In walking in submission to the Father, Jesus surrendered his life on earth for the sake of something much greater. When you and I walk out scenes of submission, when we love other Christians that way in the church, within the family, and within marriage, and within the broader Christian community, you and I tell the story of a Savior who submitted to the will of his Father. Next scenes, scenes of sacrifice. Disciples of Jesus sacrifice for one another. We sacrifice time and talent and treasure. We, we do this in simple ways. When we sacrifice a Sunday morning, we could be worshiping in the auditorium to be present with children and First City kids. That can be inconvenient and uncomfortable, especially if you haven't taught in the classroom or if you're not a parent. You do this in other ways when you come around people in the church who are struggling with chronic conditions. When you cry with them, when you sit and suffer with them, when you check in regularly with them, and you do it in still other ways when you share material resources, your money or your possessions to help people in need. When others encounter you doing that, it can be perplexing. When people in the, the church enter into scenes where we sacrifice for one another, we tell a compelling story. Here's the Apostle John again. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the, this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? 
Scenes of sacrifice invite others to know the truth about Jesus. Our great Savior did not demonstrate love through glorifying self, but by sacrificing self. To the point he laid down his life. When Christians sacrifice for one another, we demonstrate how much Jesus sacrificed for us. How he sacrificed his status and reputation. How he sacrificed his heavenly home and how he, how he suffered and received physical beatings and deaths on a cross. Scenes of sacrifice within a community, Christian community tell that story. Jesus sacrificed himself for sinners like you and I, people who had nothing to offer. The vulnerable and the marginalized and the messy parts of community, they matter. When the Christian community lives out scenes of surrendering our time and our talent and our treasures to bless others in need, you and I invite others to know the truth about Jesus. Next scenes, scenes of solidarity. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But speaking in the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So what is being described here is a, is a whole different way of thinking about the way people often relate to one another. We often characterize people based on their, their socioeconomic status, whether they are rich or poor, or their cultural background, or their racial background, or their marital status, or their age, or their political party affiliation, or whether they like to listen to Taylor Swift or don't like to listen to Taylor Swift. The Christian community is different. Because in Christ, we are united regardless of those things. Christianity moves people away from finding primary meaning in earthly identities. See, one of the, one of the cultural doctrines of today, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. While diversity is the goal, it does so by, by having people find primary meaning in earthly identities. People are viewed primarily through the lens of race or cultural background or socioeconomic status. Those are the things that define them. A Christian community will be diverse, but Christians are not bound by the doctrines of DEI, diversity for the sake of diversity or unity for the sake of unity. Instead, we are bound by the one who D-I-E-D. The diversity of the Christian community is rooted in the attractive power of Christ rather than the power of coercion offered by DEI. Now sometimes rather than solidarity, Christians are good about dividing over secondary or tertiary issues, views on baptism, views on the end times, views on creation or views of spiritual gifts. We can depart a church when someone offends us when we are hurt or harmed by other Christians. We can be people who disparage other Christians or other Christian churches in the ways we talk. Rather than solidarity, we demonstrate a spirit of splintering and a spirit of separation. Scenes of solidarity, scenes of solidarity 
invite others to know the truth about who God is. While God exists in three persons, three may not be the magic number, but but it is a divine number. Those three persons are one. They are united. And so while the, the church exists in multiple forms and shapes across the globe, we are all one in Christ. He is who unites us. Christ is our head. So as Christians live live out scenes of solidarity, when we learn and say Christian creeds, things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, when we consider Christian catechisms, when we pray for other churches in our city, when we serve and support parachurch organizations like Bellevue Together and Heartland Hope and Christian Heritage, when we partner with churches in Omaha like Brookside and Coram Deo to plant churches in the Dominican Republic, when we when we plant churches within the Acts 29 network or with partner churches in the Gospel Coalition, when we use quotes from a broad spectrum of of authors, Roman Catholics, Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans, when we do that, we demonstrate solidarity with the church in Bellevue and solidarity with the church far beyond Bellevue. As we live out scenes of solidarity, when we speak truth in love, not in anger or frustration, when we do those things, we are telling a better story. One last set of scenes, scenes of suffering and scenes of celebration. The book of Romans teaches Christians rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. The Christian community, this means that we will often pause to be present with those who are celebrating and with those who are suffering. People who are celebrating or suffering are not meant to celebrate or suffer alone. Those scenes of communal suffering and communal celebration tell the story of their Savior, Jesus Christ. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. When Christians grieve together over death, over pain and suffering, you and I demonstrate there is something broken in the world we live in, and we demonstrate we are longing for something different, the return of a Savior who will make all things right. When Christians weep together, and when Christians feast together, we invite others to know the truth. Jesus is not disconnected from our struggles and challenges. He is returning to make things right. And in light of that return, we are not just sad. We are happy. We are excited. When we feast together, we we demonstrate that Christians rebel against the darkness of the world we live in, not to pursue earthly pleasure, but because there has been and there is a future redemption coming in the world that will bring great joy. Christians have much to grieve and we have much to celebrate. When we do so, we demonstrate we are people very much connected to the realities of the world we live in, And we demonstrate our hope in Christ. We are not defined by the difficulties of our world, but we are not disconnected from them either. I'm sure I could tell you about more scenes. I could go on and on. Scenes of sharing, scenes of struggling with sin. All of these scenes, when people stop being centered on self, selfish gain, or self-centered status, and they love one another as Christians taught his disciples to do, they tell a compelling story. These people who love one another tell the story of a Savior who loves, who surrenders status and sacrifices his life for for sinners like us. Christian community, 
communicates a story inviting others to know the truth. So what are, what are the implications of this when it comes to mission? To how we Christians live out the mission of making disciples? Well, first, simple enough, invite people to encounter your Christian community. Invite them to your church. Invite them to check out your gospel community. Invite them over for parties to watch the Super Bowl, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day or Cinco de Mayo or or to celebrate Christmas and New Year's. A, A consistent theme from skeptics of Christianity is not that all of a sudden what they rejected about Christianity, all of that was refuted. Oftentimes people are befriended by a community of Christians and this begins to change assumptions about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's former atheist Sheldon von Auken describing this dynamic. We began hardly knowing we were doing it to revise our opinion not of Christianity but of Christians. Our fundamental assumption, which we had been pleased to regard as an intelligent insight, had been that all Christians were necessarily stuffy, hidebound, or stupid. People to keep one's distance from. We had kept our distance so successfully indeed that we didn't know anything about Christians. Now that assumption suddenly collapsed. The astonishing fact sank home. Our own contemporaries could be at once highly intelligent, civilized, witty, fun to be with, and Christian. Get to know the everyone's that people in your church or people in your gospel community are inviting in. As you do, it may not be the assumptions about Christ that are initially challenged, but assumptions about Christians. For the students in the room, those of you who are in high school, this was actually my story. When I was in high school, a community of Christians befriended me, and my assumptions about Christians were challenged, and I came to know the truth about Christ. People of God, Let's invite people outside the church into our church community and let's shatter some assumptions. Second, I think we often think the way to grow at mission is to grow at how we relate to those outside the church. Learning some, of, some good bar- biblical arguments to prove that Christianity is true or, or growing in how we do hospitality. But, If all people will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, maybe the best way to grow at mission is to grow in how you relate to other Christians. As Christians live in community, sometimes rather than telling the story of Christ, we tell a different story. Rather than developing and making culture better in our sin, sometimes Christians destroy and break down Culture. This is where you get things like the Crusades, the, the justification of slavery, the oppression of women, the story of division and schism in the church, the idolization of political power. Each of us, to, to varying degrees, in our state of imperfection, tells a different story as we relate to others in the Christian community. So what opportunities do you have to grow in how you live out Jesus is teaching to love one another. Maybe it's time to jump into a gospel community or commit to membership in a church or or to simply be more present in whatever community or commitments you do have. Maybe you need to surrender personal convictions or individual fears. 
Maybe some of you need to, to surrender specific struggles with sin or how you engage those that have been exposed as sinners as we live on mission. If we want everyone to get to know the story of the Christian community, what opportunities do you have to better tell that story? Lastly, let me finish with this. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died, as we talk about mission, as we consider how we relate to other Christians, as we live on that mission, let's not be motivated by our failures or our successes. Let the love of Christ be the thing that compels us. Let us continually remember what it means that we are loved. What it means that we have a Savior who sacrificed himself and surrendered himself to save sinners like us. And may his love for us transform and change the way we relate to other Christians in this church and other Christians beyond this church and the people outside of this church. May First City Church be filled with people formed by and compelled by the love of Christ.